The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors. Associate Medical Director over the PBMC. We're talking gastrology, gastrointestinal disorders, GI bleeds more specifically. Pleasure to be here. So I started at Peconic Bay in September of 2022, and it's been an amazing year. I feel incredibly privileged to work at a health center where everyone's so engaged and embraces our patients to really provide the best in care. You know, our mission statement, Jay, is that everyone gets our very best because your health is our passion. And our vision is to embrace our community's health and wellness needs one person at a time. And that's really it right there, bringing the very best in patient care to our community. And so in my role as Associate Medical Director, I work to support that goal in everything from recruiting talented physicians, in overseeing and supporting quality improvement efforts, in helping with programmatic growth to increase the scope of care we provide at Peconic Bay, and in really in helping wherever I can with the day-to-day care of our patients. Great stuff. Great stuff. Now, I was reading where you specialize in GI care, gastrointestinal, of course. What range, Dr. Son, of medical problems uh, as far as what what do you treat as far as GI is concerned? Sure. So gastroenterology is a subspecialty of internal medicine. So I and my GI colleagues, we specialize in care of all organs in the GI tract, ranging from the mouth all the way to the anus. And this encompasses diseases of the esophagus, that's the tube that connects the mouth to the stomach, the stomach, the small intestine, the colon and the rectum, as well as the pancreas, gallbladder, bile ducts, and even the liver. Uh, In the field of gastroenterology, even in that field, there's subspecialization. So along with general gastroenterology, my colleague, Dr. Sarah Cerrone, is a motility specialist, and Dr. Roni Ayun is an expert in inflammatory bowel disease, so such diseases as ulcerative colitis and Crohn's disease. As for me specifically, I'm a GI hospitalist, and what that means is I don't have an outpatient practice. I specialize in caring for patients who are admitted to the hospital with GI issues. Gotcha. And it covers a lot. Now, I always hear the the phraseology of a GI bleed. If you can explain that, uh, a little more about GI bleeding, what it is. Go ahead. Sure. So GI bleeding is, a, is blood loss from the GI tract, and it en- encompasses a wide range of disease processes. It could be something as benign as a small hemorrhoidal bleed, um, and that's oftentimes patients will say that they, there's some a little blood on you know wiping uh, after they have a bowel movement to something catastrophic, as such as a bleed from something called esophageal varices. These are dilated veins in the esophagus, and when they, when they pop and when they burst, that could be massive, uh, really catastrophic bleeding from the upper GI tract. Most commonly, GI bleeding is characterized as really either upper GI bleeding or lower GI bleeding, and, and that distinction is important. Upper GI bleeding is bleeding from the upper GI tract, including the esophagus, the stomach, the first part of the small intestine. It can present as a medical emergency requiring prompt resuscitation and care. And the most common cause of upper GI bleeding is really peptic ulcer disease. When you hear, oh, I've got an ulcer, that's peptic ulcer disease or ulcers in the stomach or the first part of the small bowel called the duodenum. Lower GI bleeding 
is bleeding from the rest of the small bowel, from the colon, or the rectum. In other words, the lower GI tract. And the most common cause of lower GI bleeding is called diverticular bleeding. These are small pouches in the colon, diverticula, that can develop over time, and we get more of them as we age. And as they develop, the blood vessels in these pouches can get stretched and exposed, and then they start bleeding. And that's called diverticular bleeding. Now, is that a derivative of diverticulitis? So, great question. There's a distinct difference between diverticulitis, itis meaning inflammation, so inflammation of that pouch. It could start from a little bacterial infection. There could be a piece of stool that got stuck in there and bacteria festers and grows, and that causes diverticulitis, which causes abdominal pain and is treated with antibiotics. Diverticular bleeding, on the other hand, it, it, it it's not inflammation. It's just bleeding from that little pouch. So you could have diverticular bleeding without diverticulitis, and the treatment's very different, may not involve antibiotics at all. You can have, in certain instances, both at the same time, but that's rare. Um, it's either diverticular bleeding or diverticulitis. And I think one th- important thing to take away for our listeners is that diverticulosis in and of itself is normal. It's a normal process. And really, the management is just making sure you eat a high-fiber diet and have regular formed bowel movements. Gotcha. Talking with Dr. Sun, Edward Sun, uh, medical director, as far as the uh, Peconic Bay Medical Center, associate MD over there. A specialty, of course, is uh, gastrointestinal uh, care. Uh, Doc, give me a few signs as far as from our listeners what to look for to determine yeah, when sure. to kind of seek medical treatment. Very important here, my friend. Go ahead. Yeah, so when we talked about the difference between upper GI bleeding and lower GI bleeding, I think the most interesting is that they present pretty differently. Upper GI bleeding, you could look for things like vomiting of blood, uh, vomiting of what are called coffee ground emesis. It's actually vomit that looks like coffee grounds, that that distinct, fine, uh, little brown, um, um, sandy uh, appearance, versus lower GI bleeding, which could present as bright red blood in stool. Um, upper GI bleeding could also present as black stool, which is called melena. But it's not just the color. It's a tarry, sticky, black uh, sus, uh, substance that's really foul-smelling. You know, these symptoms, these are indicative of acute bleeding, right? There's actually blood. So when you bleed from a gastric ulcer, for example, that blood, as it goes down the GI tract, mixes with gastric juices, pancreatic juices, and that's what turns it that black color. That bright red in the lower GI plaque lower GI tract, when you have lower GI bleeding, it's bright red because it's very close to the opening. Um, But it's important to know that symptoms could be much more subtle. They can include feeling lightheaded, dizzy, shorter breath, even chest pain. And I think the important takeaway for our audience is if you do have symptoms at all, to not ignore them. Go see your primary care doctor or to, to an urgent care center or an even emergency emergency room or emergency room, depending on how acute the symptoms are and how severe they are. Interesting stuff with Dr. Edward's son. You know, um, you know, there's there's ways I would imagine to prevent GI bleeding. You know, I, I think about a bland diet if you're sensitive, if you have ulcers and whatnot. Give me a couple other little yeah. things, Doc, as far as prevention. What can, what can our listeners do? So, you know, the literature is 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 not definitive on avoiding spicy foods and things like that. And we certainly want to, wouldn't want to deny uh, our listeners of, of in, being able to enjoy life. Enjoy life, you know. But um, there certainly are a lot of risk factors um, uh, that increase the risk of GI bleeding. 
particularly when patients are on blood thinners. You know, I think the first thing that we should talk about is really just not, not ignoring symptoms. When you do have symptoms, see your primary care provider. They can check a hemoglobin level or a blood count to see if it's low. Normal hemoglobin for men ranges from 14 to 18. For women, it's from 12 to 16. But I want to tell you a little story because it goes back to these risk factors, you know. A couple weeks ago, I cared for a 61-year-old woman. She came into the hospital with shortness of breath. Her hemoglobin, when they checked her blood count, was in the threes. Now, remember, normal for women is 12. She was all the way down to three, which meant that this had been, she had been bleeding from something for a long time. Wow. That sort of chronicity, and she was still walking, just, just having shortness of breath, means that this, this was happening for a very long time. And the reason she was shortness, short of breath is because hemoglobin it binds to oxygen, and red blood cells carry that oxygen to the rest of the body, to our cells. So when you don't have enough hemoglobin, when you don't have enough blood, then there's not enough oxygen that's going to the rest of the body, and that's why you feel short of breath. Or you could feel lightheaded, or you could even have chest pain. So she was admitted, and the first thing that we did was we resuscitated her. We gave her blood. We transfused her. We got her blood count back up so that she's no longer symptomatic and no longer short of breath. That is unbelievable. And then I, yeah, and then I spoke to her about really the next step is trying to figure out where she's bleeding from. You know, the, the common analogy is thinking about uh, a gas tank, and there's a leak somewhere, and that gas tank level is low. So we've replaced it with more gas, but unless you fix the leak, you're going to get the the level's going to... Right, exactly. So we did an endoscopy and a colonoscopy for her. The endoscopy was normal. Uh, The endoscopy is a rubber tube with a camera and a light at the end, and the patient is fully sedated for the procedure. They don't feel anything. Um, And then we take that scope and we insert it into the mouth, we look into the esophagus, we look into the stomach and the small intestine, and then the colonoscopy patient is still sedated. We use a different scope, a colonoscope, and hey, we doctor, look up the rectum and doc, the I'm colon. I'm going to stop you there yeah. only because I'm up against a hard break. That's a fascinating story. I want to pick that up uh, sure. right after we take a little bit of a break here, my friend. Sure. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Edward Sun, GI, his specialty, associate medical director. As far as great PBMC, and we shall return at the Specifically, and uh, we go back to conversation. I'm sorry to rudely have interrupted you, my friend, but you were talking no, about Jay. a specific case in which a woman whose level yeah, so, really down low, and you have yes. to figure it out with endoscopies and right. and uh, so colonoscopies did. and everything else. Let's pick up and tell me what happened here. Go ahead. 
Right. So this was a 61-year-old woman. She came in with uh, just intermittent red blood in her stool, and we found that her hemoglobin was only three. We did an endoscopy and a colonoscopy, and the colonoscopy actually revealed a large mass at the beginning of her colon, uh, and it looked like a cancer. And I took biopsies. Biopsies, we take an instrument, and we take little pieces of that tissue. We send it to the pathology lab, and lo and behold, it came back as an adenocarcinoma, which is a cancer. Wow. So she'd been bleeding from this cancer for quite a while. It could have been a year, could have been years when she had been bleeding from this as it, as it was growing. Because cancers are typically hypervascular, and so they recruit a lot of blood, and, and she could be bleeding from that. So what did we do? Um, the diagnosis came back. She actually, we have two colorectal surgeons, Dr. Brett Rufo and Dr. Kenesha Atwell. And Dr. Atwell took her for surgery a couple days ago. And she's likely going to be discharged within a few days. The mass was completely removed. Her colon is intact, and she's going to go home, and she's no longer going to bleed. I mean, it's, it's a wonderful success story because she came in, and we did the endoscopy. We did the colonoscopy. We found what was bleeding, and she got treated for it. But the important thing, to go back to your question, is what can we do? What are some risk factors? Yeah. GI bleeding from a, a colon mass or polyp or a cancer the the most important risk factor um, that we can mitigate is getting routine colorectal cancer screening, and you know March is colorectal cancer awareness month in a few in a few months, but it's so important for anybody who's of average risk uh, above the age of forty five to get screened to get their colonoscopy because that could prevent that could prevent fi- finding these cancers before they yeah. become big and and bleed. You know, other risk factors could be something as simple as as Motrin, Advil, ibuprofen, these are medications that could increase, um, they're called ulcerogenic, so they can actually make ulcers in the stomach. If you were to take Motrin, 600 milligrams, three times a day for cons- consistently for three weeks, 20% of patients can develop ulcers in the stomach. Now, that's not to say these medications are, you know, you, you should stop taking them. They do a lot of good, right? They, they treat pain. Oftentimes, they're necessary. But it's important to realize to take them with food, to uh, consult your physician, to talk to your primary care doctor about that, but to also know that long-term, there, there, there are some side effects, and uh, there's an increased risk of GI bleeding from them. That's great stuff. Talking with Dr. Edward's son. Two follow-ups for you. That woman, that mass, was that a benign mass? No, that was a malignant cancer that we had found, and then she got it resected. She got it completely removed, which is fantastic. Now, did she have to undergo chemotherapy on that? So she didn't because it was localized treatment. Um, She's going to have to be evaluated by an oncologist, but at least while she was in the hospital, you know, we, we did the resection, and she'll follow up with an oncologist. That is awesome stuff. Great news there. And one other follow-up there regarding colonoscopies. Now they have this thing. You see a commercial every 10 minutes for Cologuard. Are you a believer? Cologuard, yeah. Does that suffice? So, yes. So Cologuard is a fit. It's what's called fecal. By the way, I say that because I am a participant in the Cologuard over the last month, which, by the way, I came back lean. Cologuard is a combination test. If you're not into the... Uh, intrusive nature of it all, let's say, uh, and you're busy and whatnot. Cologuard's a nice, best thing. Listen, you got to get something done, correct? Yeah, so so that's a very important comment that you made, that it's the next best thing. The gold standard is still colonoscopy. 
The reason I say that is because with a colonoscopy, we can intervene. Small polyps, large polyps, they can yep. be removed. And the whole point of colorectal cancer screening is to remove polyps before they become cancer. Cologuard is a test that tests for abnormal stool DNA. Um, so what it does is if you have a cancer, that cancer is shedding abnormal DNA, and the Cologuard test will pick that up in the stool. Uh, so a positive Cologuard test still needs to be followed up by having a colonoscopy. Very a negative Cologuard test means that you can do another Cologuard every three years. Right. Colonoscopy, if you do a colonoscopy and it's normal and there are no polyps, you don't have to do another colonoscopy or colorectal cancer screening for 10 years. So there are subtle differences between the tests, um, but you're right. The best test is a test that gets done. So if there are any mitigating factors that would prevent a patient listen, having a colonoscopy, do the Cologuard, yeah. And let me tell you something. There is nothing shameful about it. Trust me, okay? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you this much. It was sitting on my dresser for a long time, and you know, <laughs> I decided that's enough. <laughs> because yeah. I got a call. That I'm glad you did it. I got a text message, and I said, you know, I'm getting it done. I did. It's very simple. It is so simple. It, it's not it to be believed. And you get a good result, hopefully. Uh, we're talking yeah. about dead with son. A couple of minutes uh, remain. Fascinating discussion, really is. Um, have you, by the way, seen an increase in uh, in GI bleeding, Doc, as far yeah, as Yeah, so the overall incidence of GI bleeding is really around 100 to 150 cases per 100,000 population. So for our Peconic Bay Medical Center population, extending all the way from Manorville to Greenport, it encompasses over 180,000 persons. It's not surprising that we see a good number of GI bleed cases at the hospital. I'd say that over the last 10 years, we have seen overall an increase in GI bleeding because there are more patients who are on um, therapies such as aspirin and Plavix, patients who've had cardiac stents placed, uh, patients who have atrial fibrillation. They get placed on something called Coumadin, and, yeah. uh, anticoagulant, or Eliquis, or Xarelto. You know, these medications, factor 10A inhibitors, vitamin K antagonists, direct thrombin inhibitors, even antiplatelet agents like aspirin and Plavix, while they have a role and, and, a, and a very good function, there is a risk of increased bleeding. And so because of that, knowing that, uh, we have seen an increased risk in GI bleed cases coming to the hospital. Interesting. Talk to Edward's son with us talking GI and, of course, does a wonderful job as an associate medical director. Um, Doc, what about, I mean, you, you bring up collaboration and everything else. I mean, I am sure you and other GI uh, hospitalists do that with other departments throughout the hospital, I would imagine, to provide oh, yeah. just the overall best care for patients, right? Yeah, it's a team effort. It goes back to that mission of ours, right? That uh, The vision to, to really care for our community's health. I'll tell you, you know, with those patients, even when they're on aspirin, Plavix, Coumadin, um, they need those medications. So very important for our audience to know not to stop those medications, you know, hopefully not after hearing this podcast. Uh, but the point is, even if you're on those medications and you develop a GI bleed, we can care for you. It all starts in the emergency room. Actually, it might start even in your primary care doctor's office. You go to your primary care doctor, and they check your blood count, and it's low. If they send you to a gastroenterologist on the outside, that's one pathway. If they send you to the emergency room here at Peconic Bay Medical Center, our ED physicians will evaluate you, and they'll determine whether you need initial uh, resuscitation. And that could be with fluids. That could be with blood 
uh, blood products or packed red cells. You know, there's a whole concerted effort. And once a patient is fully resuscitated, let's say they come in with a large GI bleed, the first order of business is resuscitation and giving them, replacing the blood that they've lost, the fluid that they need, and stabilizing them. Once they're stable, I, as a gastroenterologist, and my colleagues will come in and we'll do a procedure to try to find where that bleeding's from. Gotcha. If it's an ulcer, we have a number of tools uh, at our disposal when we do the endoscopy to actually fix the bleed right then and there. They can involve a clip, something called cautery, which is like it, it just cauterizes uh, the, the blood vessel and stops it from bleeding. We, we even have a, a device that shoots a powder that binds with blood and then forms a seal and prevents that from bleeding further. So there are a number of tools that we can do endoscopically to fix GI bleeding. And then even afterwards, we work closely with the, the hospitalists who are taking care of patients to make sure those patients are on the right medications to help either ulcers heal or whatever it is uh, to right. prevent it from bleeding further. That's fantastic, uh, Dr. Edwards. So we only got about a minute left. I, I do want to s- sing your praises <laughs> with the time remaining with about 40 seconds, Doc. And sure. that is you recently won an award, the GI area there. Uh, fantastic stuff. Excellence from health grades to GI care. Oh, it's tremendous. What does it mean I mean, about 20 seconds, my friend. It's tremendous. Peconic Bay was among the top 10% in the country in overall GI services. In addition, PBMC also received a five star rating for the treatment of gastrointestinal bleed and the treatment of bowel obstruction. So we Great are here stuff. to take care of patients. Thank you so much, Jay. Appreciate it. Really enjoyed it. We're going to bring you back to Edward Sun, Associate Medical Director of the uh, great PBMC. Jay Oliver here. We'll do it again next week, ladies and gentlemen. Another round of Ask the Medical Experts. Stay well, stay safe, stay healthy. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors.